Welcome to the Adventure Podcast. There's a very exciting episode for you today. We'll be speaking with Joshua Taylor, the previous design director at Evernote. But before that, I'd like to talk to you about Virgin Atlantic Airlines. In marketing news, Virgin Atlantic Airlines is trying out sensory marketing. I first heard about this in an article titled Virgin Atlantic Marketing Boss. Quote, sensory marketing does not have to be creepy. So, they've heard of the studies about how smell and memory are very connected, and they want to start using senses more than just sight and sound to appeal to their customers. So one of the things they're considering doing is putting the galley bar in the front of the plane. Then the first scent people would smell would be orange juice instead of kind of like a plain smell. They're also considering having a custom scent that might be in limos that take you to the airport. And then when you step on the plane, you smell the custom scent and it kind of connects your whole experience. They're also considering for the upper class, having virtual reality sales experiences. So this would be something similar to Google Cardboard. Now I've worked with Google on the Google Cardboard pilot program and I can tell you these experiences would be very immersive. So it's like 360 degree views, you're really within a scene instead of looking like a picture which takes advertising to a whole new level. If you're thinking this is a bit out there, remember that Virgin Atlantic is a bit of a unique airline. I've never personally taken them, but I've followed their marketing and the different things they do on their flights. And right now you can take flights where you get massages. You can get your nails cleaned up. In fact, their catchphrase is flying in the face of ordinary. So they're really not trying to give you an ordinary experience when you fly Virgin Atlantic. So really honing in on all of the senses makes sense for them. They also like to do things like go to DMV lines that are long and boring and give people cupcakes. So this company likes to try something new and sensory marketing is where it's going. Now I've been following the comments online. Some people are pointing out that sensory marketing is not something totally different. People have done things like this before. For example, in Las Vegas, there have been studies where they have different gambling areas. Some are very pleasantly scented and they found that people actually gamble more money in a pleasantly scented area. So if you're on a plane and considering getting some cocktails, maybe that signature scent will be what makes you decide to get them. What I think the biggest problem with this is, is not what they're trying, but the fact that the senior vice president of marketing let himself get quoted saying, sensory marketing does not have to be creepy. Because as soon as you hear that someone said that, you start to look within it and think, hmm, what might be creepy about this? And I've seen people in the comments also thinking, this sounds a little creepy. Had I not prefaced with the word creepy, you might not have been thinking of it the whole time. So you should really take away from this that if you're getting interviewed about a project or any products you may have, be very careful about what you say. Don't use adjectives that are negative and say, my product is not this negative attribute. Only use positive words so those positive images come to mind when people are thinking of your product. But besides that, I think this is an interesting idea and it's new and you always want to be trying new things. So good luck, Virgin Atlantic.
So how are you doing today, Joshua? Doing pretty good, kind of getting excited. Excellent. I'm very excited to have you here today. So I've already told the listeners that you used to be design director at Evernote. Can you tell us a bit about a typical day you had when you were there? Oh, typical day. Uh, you know, I think that uh, days changed quite a bit, and I think that was kind of part of the exciting thing. Um, but, uh, I mean, we would design uh, a handful of different products across the different platforms. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of got to do things from our web app to iOS and Android. And so a lot of it was kind of taking a feature or taking a product and seeing how we can improve. We normally had an initiative that we were uh, going towards and met with product managers to figure out all the requirements and kind of sit down and start designing that, talking to users and pulling it in, prototyping, and that kind of thing. So kind of had a variety of tasks every day, depending on kind of where we were, but um, pretty normal product design days. Yeah. I mean, I think the best kind of work is the kind that isn't exactly the same every day. When things kind of change up, I think that really keeps you going. Totally. I, I, I really, I'm definitely somebody that uh, I'm, exactly opposite of the people that uh, need a routine. <laughs> yeah. Routine kind of gets me a little bit bored eventually. So even even when I have a routine and that there's parts where I like really like to mix it up and, and try to be doing something different. Um, I like being out of the office and um, all that type of stuff helps me feel like I'm not just kind of going to a normal nine to five like our parents did. <laughs> Yeah, I'm exactly the same way. That's one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast, because every episode I get to talk to a different interesting person, and it's different every time. Yeah, there's I mean, there's so many different ways that you can approach design these days. I mean, there's kind of your typical product design, and then like kind of becoming more and more established, but there's just so much cool stuff that people are doing, and from so many different angles, um, that I think it's pretty exciting. You definitely don't have to like do it any one particular way. Yeah, so right now you're working with a bunch of different startups, right? Yeah, so um, I left Evernote about a year ago. Um, I had been there for about four years, um, and it was an awesome place. Um, but actually, just during, like kind of what we're talking about, I kind of got to the point where um, I was doing – I had done most of the stuff, and it was I needed a new challenge. Um, and so I stepped out, and I've been doing contract work. I started a little uh, mini agency um, and uh, I've been working with some really awesome people. I really like working on really early stage uh, problems. So that can be uh, like these early startups that are pre-product and they've got an idea, they've got some really cool uh, technology, um, but they don't have a product yet. So like we kind of help them uh, start from the ground up and identify what they're building and who it's for and, and all that kind of stuff and then build it all the way out to like kind of final design. But then kind of the same thing goes for uh, bigger companies. So we've definitely worked with some uh, bigger companies as well, um, like Airbnb and ClassPass and Credit Karma. Those companies are obviously not early stage at all, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but they still have early problems. So they have a new feature or a new thing that they're going to, going to launch and it doesn't exist now and we're trying to figure out, okay, you don't have this at all, so how do we kind of get it out into the public? And you have a lot more constraints um, with those companies, but I think it's uh, similar for me where you kind of, this zero to one problem is the, the types of things that I'm really interested in. 
Yeah, so do you feel extra connected with startups when you're there right at the beginning and you can see them grow through the whole process? Yeah, um, I, I do. I think that, look, for me, those are just so exciting where, where you get to kind of really help form what they are and, and you're kind of really helping them identify and build their own identity. Um, inherently, though, like, I think that life as a contractor is is like you're never getting too uh, connected with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's I feel ownership, but I also don't feel ownership, um, which is obviously a bit of a challenge. But um, I think it's more of like a like a not a mentor relationship, but just something where you can help people for a while, and then it's inherent that I'm going to step out. Yeah. Um, so it's it's exciting in that way, and I really kind of try to help them. Um, launch uh, what, the direction that they're going in. Um, and having worked with some of those bigger companies, I think is helpful to kind of say, like, here's where you are. And I, I, I've worked on the other side of this, too. And so we can kind of help get you going in the right direction. So, um, yeah, it's kind of getting them in the right direction is the pretty key there. So can you hint at any of the current projects you're working on? Or are they kind of secret? Uh, they're quasi-secret. Um, <laughs> There's, yeah, there's one I definitely can't talk about. Um, doing some stuff with uh, Credit Karma these days um, mm-hmm. and really helping them uh, rethink how they do commerce and, and how people um, buy products and, and find financial products. Um, and so there's there's a lot going on there, and that's probably about all I can say there. But they are a pretty awesome company that's found um, some really good success um, by meeting a real need that people have of understanding their, their credit score and their financial history and kind of where they can go. So it's a pretty fun thing to work on with people where um, there's a it's very emotive. <laughs> so um, it's fun to kind of work on, on something like that where, where the end user is definitely motivated uh, to, to interact with the product. So Yeah, you definitely want a lot of interaction. Do you find that a lot of times you have to kind of keep things secrets. Like do the startups sort of worry if they talk to too many people, people are going to steal their ideas. Yeah. I mean, I think a little bit, um, I, I think there's probably a couple of reasons that people don't want to talk about things. Like one is definitely they don't want people to steal their ideas. Um, generally speaking, I don't think that that's overly valid. Um, Although for there's a lot of these companies that are super small and they're going into a very competitive market, and so if you're you know in the financial space and you're going up against um, these people that have huge amounts of resources, um, if you come in with an idea, normally that idea is very small and you don't have the resources to do something really big. That's actually what makes you powerful is you're nimble and you're fast and you can go really quick on something, but yeah. it's kind of only one thing. And so I think a lot of them are concerned that if um, it would be really easy for a big company to um, to do the same thing, mm. um, and they might not do it as well, or they might do it, not do it uh, the same way. But they have so much traction that um, that it's not even that they would steal their idea. But if they wanted to do something similar, or um, I don't think it's really about people stealing ideas as much as being inspired by them or realizing that that actually fits in really well, or um, I don't think there's too much like blatant stealing of ideas these days, but um, but I think that, that that's one concern for sure. When you're smaller, like you're so volatile mm-hmm. that anybody can 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 win over you if they chose to do it. So it's kind of more of just keeping it hush hush, 
so that you can get far enough along to validate it yourself before somebody else kind of puts you out of business. Um, that's the one. The other, which I think is actually probably a bigger driver of people wanting to stay hush hush, is controlling PR. Oh um, yeah. So when you when you launch, you only get to launch once, um, and that launch is really important, um, and that's how you get some really good traction. So if you're kind of constantly talking about it, and if I'm here saying, "Hey, here's this great new product that's launching, but it's not out yet," now everybody gets excited but mm-hmm. doesn't interact with the product. So I've lost my opportunity to to actually launch that product. So I think it's it's really often a lot about that too. They want to have they want to be able to control that and have like a concerted launch that has that goes and drives directly to like downloading the app or whatever it is and starts getting people engaged right away. So um, you see that people do like a pre-launch where they get signups and they'll start talking about it more and more, but. Um, I think that it's not so much about being secretive as much as kind of having control over um, the message. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a really good point that you only get to have like your big launch one time. So you really want to nail it. Right. I think a lot of those people are actually talking about their product pretty openly amongst certain groups. Um, And that's how they get it hyped. You know, they're talking to an investor or they're talking to certain user groups or that type of thing. So it's not that it's totally secret. It's that it's not ready for like public discussion. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you work with quite a range of like small businesses and big ones. Do you find that your process is pretty similar no matter what, or do you think it changes depending on the size of the startup? Um, I think that generally speaking, the product design lifecycle can be broken into like a couple main categories. Um, how they actually get done at different places um, definitely varies a little bit. And the biggest variance is as you get bigger, you have more meetings to do the same thing, um, which isn't all bad. Uh, there's, you're involving more people that really know their stuff is another way to think about it. Not only bad meetings, but uh, so you're getting kind of expert guidance along the way a lot of times. So, um, But generally speaking, at bigger companies, you're doing the same thing, but uh, a little bit slower. Um, I think that for me, like the product design uh, life cycle, like I said, can like be broken down roughly into like three or four different, uh, probably four different categories or, or steps. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think this is anything new, but um, it's, it's kind of uh, the first step I call just like a definition step. And this is where uh, like Google Ventures design sprints are super, super good in this step. Um, and essentially, you're kind of trying to figure out, um, like, what are the problems, what are the opportunities, like, get everything out, um, and, like, really, what are we building here? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, like, honestly, one of the worst things, or one of the things that really slows things down, especially in larger companies, is they don't spend enough time in the definition step. They yeah. think they define it. They're like, oh, we want this new feature. And they're like, okay, go build it. Um, <laughs> and then people just start, um, they go on to the next step, which is ideation. Um, and they just start coming up with ideas, but they haven't really defined exactly what they're doing, um, how they'll know it's successful, uh, and you know what the metrics are for success and what it looks like for you know how they'll know even if they're building the right thing. Um, so that definition step is kind of super important. After that comes ideation. So you kind of define everything, and then you you ideate, um, and then you kind of come up with multiple ideas. And then after that is uh, a production stage where you're actually building it. And then the last one is kind of an iteration where you can start taking feedback 
and then you kind of loop back around and do it all again. Um, and, and kind of what happens on each one of those stages, they're like divergent and convergent. So like in the definition stage, you're taking tons of different data points from, you know, like user forums and from the market and your understanding about this technology and like all of this different stuff. And you're pulling it down into like one, you're, you're converging into like one idea or one definition of what you're going to build. Then the next step is ideation, which is like, like diverging again. So you want to come up with how are, what are all the different ways that we could possibly solve this problem? Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that stage, you're doing the same thing again. You're converging and saying, okay, let's like filter it down into the one idea that we think is good. Um, and then you might do a couple of rounds on, on like in the production stage, you're like, you know, you've got a good idea, but let's, take some revs on exactly what that's going to look like for us, a couple of different um, explorations there, and that's a divergent again, and then you converge into, like, the final direction and then the actual, like, production of it. Um, I think a lot of people stop there, which is pretty dangerous, um, and they kind of look at what, how they get to launch, and then they don't think about exactly what's going to happen, or they're like, oh, there's a, a one-week period, or we'll, we'll clean up some bugs after that. Um, and it's like that's pretty challenging. So I, that that's why like in I think there, that fourth stage is really important iteration built in, and I think that people under index on iteration um, quite a lot. Um, and so you kind of need to have a process for taking in feedback, looking at metrics, and figuring out um, what the next steps are. So yeah, um, you always want to be looking towards how you can improve the user experience and what they need. What you're saying reminds me a lot about, right now I'm reading Articulating Design Decisions. Yeah. And the author talks about, he went to this job interview, and they asked him, like, what's the first thing you do when you have to start a design? And, like, a lot of the people start talking about, like, oh, what colors do you want to use? And things like that, where that is way farther down the scale. The first thing he says is you want to know what problem you want to solve. Right. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of people want like the best way to do that is just ask a lot of questions. Yeah. Right. So now might be a good time to get into how designers should learn business, which I read your article on Medium. Very good. <laughs> Thank you. Do you have a background in business yourself? No. So no. I mean that was actually kind of a, like it's it's for myself as much as for anyone. Uh, it's not like a critique of other people. It's like, Hey, here's something that I need to spend more time learning. Have you had experiences where you've been in a situation you wished you knew a bit more about business with your designs? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I guess I'd say that specifically I've been in multiple places where I've had a discussion and I felt like I did like an awesome job and presented this really great design and it's just not received. It's not received poorly. Um, they're like, yeah, that's great. Um, but it's not received overly enthusiastically either, or it doesn't get shipped or, and then you're kind of left to this. Why, what happened? Like I did this thing and everybody said it was good, but it didn't, people weren't that excited. And, and I think in retrospect, a lot of those times um, were because I, I wasn't really solving the business's problem. Mm. I was solving maybe my problem. I was solving an interesting design problem. I did something that was really cool. And so people were into it, uh, but it wasn't really solving the problem that they needed solved. 
So I, I've seen that kind of with myself a few times with other designers I've worked with. And I've seen the converse, too. And so I've seen the times where I was able to really get at the core of what the problem is that they're trying to solve. And um, if I've been able to address that for them, then they're more excited. They're uh, shipping that product more quickly. Um, it gets the resources that it needs and that type of thing. So, um yeah, it's probably a lot of personal experience of seeing some of that stuff in myself and other designers I've worked with. Yeah. Have you ever had trouble, too, kind of explaining your design decisions to people who maybe don't know the different vocabulary that designers use? Have you ever struggled with anything like that? Yeah, I mean, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that, like, that a good relationship with a designer and, like, a product manager or, like, a, a CEO or whoever you're working with um, – is one where they kind of respect you to do your craft. Um, and you have to know about that. And yeah. you have to know, you have to be the person who comes and say like, I know I like, I got the button thing down. Like, don't worry about it. Um, but then is also um, one where you're able to understand really the problem that you're solving. So um, yeah, I've definitely been in, in the place where you're trying to, it generally happens for me when you're trying to, talk to them about craft and they don't have the right vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to pull them into our world. Um, and I think that a bit of what I was uh, getting at with writing that article is rather than trying to pull a CEO for, for instance, into our design world, we should be doing the opposite and really trying to understand like, what are their problems? What keeps them up at night? Like, what are they saying to the the board? What are they, they see something theoretically, if they're a good CEO, they see something in the market, they see these opportunities, they see something um, that we can help them with. And so what is that? And so we, if we are kind of taking that approach of how can we make them more successful at the thing they're already trying to do, I think that that's us trying to get into their world and see how design can be applied. And I think that's um, a little bit more powerful than like, trying to pull them into the design process. Well, that makes sense, too, because they're more likely to go into the design process if they see that you've met them halfway and you're trying to understand their side of everything. Exactly. And I, and I think that, like, that's what good design is. I mean, if we can – I mean, there's a, a, another little piece here that I think is really important where if we can – we don't need, I think designers want to be the ones that control the design. And I think that we need to, as an industry, get away from that. We need to start think, thinking everybody in an organization is a designer. And I think that's been one of our problems. Is we're like, you're, too, you're designing stuff and you're not a good designer. Um, so I should design it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like a very typical thing that like happens as designers are getting upset that other people are designing things or making design decisions for them. And that's always going to happen because design isn't just sitting in Photoshop or Sketch or whatever, right? Yeah. So we have to, rather than trying to control that process, I think we need to go the opposite way and start educating other people on how to be good designers and how designers can solve their problems. Um, and then if we can give them the tools to start solving the problems, you know, if if they have this great idea and we can prototype it for them, then they can see for themselves whether it's a good idea or not. We don't have to tell them, um, hey, that's a bad idea. <laughs> we can help them see it for themselves and give them the tools to do it. And I think that if we can switch design on its head a little bit in that direction, 
and start getting people to to have all the tools that they need. I think that's going to be really key in the organizations that we work in. So what are some of the strategies you would use if maybe they do have an idea that's not that good? How do you show them that without saying, hey, that's a bad idea? <laughs> uh, show it to them. I mean, that's like one of the best ways. Like, if One of the skills that designers have is you can kind of see a couple steps. And like, I know like that idea taken and put into practice is not going to yield what you want. Mm-hmm. And somebody else might not see that because they don't see how all the pieces are going to fit together. So take it, take, say, take it and see, I, I would like flip it, not to try to prove, show them that it's wrong. Always see if there's something to this idea, like give them benefit of the doubt and say like, they're trying to solve this. Like if I was really on board with them and trying to make the best experience to, to address whatever they're trying to address, what would it look like? And then design that for them show it to them or show like show it to some users and get some feedback. Um, and I think a lot of times we're all on the same page. We're all trying to solve the same thing. They've got an idea and they don't know how to flesh it out. They don't know how to get it in front of people. Um, so a lot of times yeah, these are very rational people. If we show them something, they're they're gonna look at it and say, Oh yeah, that doesn't really work. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to get to what they're actually trying to fix, too. Like, if they say, oh, we should move this button over here, don't just be like, oh, we can't move it. Understand why they want to move it, and maybe their concerns can be addressed in a different way. Totally. I think that's huge. So do you think there's still room in the design field for people who don't know how to understand user experiences, maybe people who are just very aesthetically oriented and aren't really thinking about the users as much? Yes. Um, The design field is huge. There's room for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you might have to figure it out in any given organization. Um, I think that like those... I would call those more specialists in a product design standpoint. Um, but the visuals are really important. Um, people respond to them. They're emotional. They, um, they drive, a lot of times, they drive the engagement. Um, so it, we can't say that visuals aren't important by any means. Um, and I think as organizations get a little bit bigger, those specialists that are focusing just on visuals uh, become a little bit more important. Um, and or they might have more of a role in some bigger or, bigger organizations as far as product goes. Um, there's other places when visuals are actually really really important, and it, it depends, I think, a little bit on the industry that you're working in too. Yeah. You know, if, if you're working in um, business software that people are going to use eight hours a day, like UX. And how the product works is incredibly important. Um, visuals are also very important because people like those. But the initial impact visuals can have isn't as important. Um, versus if you launch a new uh, chat app these days, there's so many. It has to distinguish itself, and visuals are a distinguishing factor. Um, and then visuals, I think, become a little bit more important. They're, they're important kind of everywhere. Um, it's just kind of a matter of, of how much emphasis um, they need. And um, kind of, again, somebody, whether it be that designer or someone else, but somebody needs to understand the impact that the visuals are having. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I remember just reading something about different messaging systems and how if it's kind of boring, people aren't as excited about it, but adding a lot of colors and making it more fun can make your like business chats not feel so much like work. So it's very right. important in that aspect. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of stuff happening in chat these days. See, we we've covered most of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Did you have anything else you'd like to talk about today? Um, well, yeah, I kind of have, um, I have this little idea that, uh, I haven't told you about. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to kind of throw it out and I want to know what you think about it. This is, a, you're, you're, I think the first person, maybe the second person that I've told about this, this might be a horrible idea. <laughs> um, but, um, I, I want to give it a shot. So a lot of people are kind of like, there's a lot of discussion about like how, um, either young designers start becoming product designers mm -hmm. or how um, someone maybe with more of a graphic design or communication design can background can switch over to doing product design. Um, have you seen some of those discussions or tips and things like that? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people trying to look for different ways to get into it. And it seems like there's a lot of different avenues these days. It seems like people come from a bunch of different backgrounds um, right. I've been trying to teach myself design. I've been reading a lot of different design books and kind of practicing with design contests. But I've also seen a lot of people who come maybe from business and then they kind of s realize that they really like the design aspect because it's more important than they realized and they switch over to that. And a lot yeah. of designers who realize like, oh, I've been doing a lot of visual things, but the user experience is also very important and they switch over. It just seems like there's so many different ways to get into it today. What do you think? Totally. And I think that's the exciting part for me. There's all these people that are great designers. They have a great design thinking background and they just don't quite yet have um, either the experience or the specific knowledge about building digital products or or something, uh, they're missing something. Um, and, and generally that's experience. So here's my idea. Um, what I wanna do, and this is open to anybody that's listening, um, I want to um, find, so, so the, the thing that I would tell any of those people is just find a product, redesign it, find a product and build it. Like you just need experience. Yeah. Um, and so they're always looking for like real experience. Like how can you find something to build? told this to a handful of people and they're like, oh, that's great, but what do I design? Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I'll step in. I have um, a lot of ideas that need designing. And so I kind of want to try this thing. I don't know, really know what to call it yet, but maybe let's call it a fellowship or something like that, where um, if someone wants to raise their hand and say they want to build an app, I will take one of the ideas, one of the apps that I have, uh, give it to them. They can uh, work with me and we'll design it together, but I want them to own it. So they'll get a full uh, product design lifecycle experience from scratch to um, building a real product. We'll build it. Um, and then if uh, nothing happens, then great. They got a good experience and uh, a good actual app under their belt. Um, but uh, the idea would be that we would try to get this thing built and I would give them equity in whatever we build. Um, so I'm hoping that it's kind of be an interesting little model where uh, designers would get the experience, but also like own the thing that they built, get to ship a real product um, and um, see if we can actually do something that's a bit different. 
That's awesome. It's kind of like a mentorship. Yeah, it's like a mentorship, except they get something real at the end. Yeah, more than just kind of a portfolio. There's a real project there. Right. Okay, well, dibs, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> dibs, all right. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, yeah, I'm, I have uh, a couple of these things that I think could be really, really interesting apps and really interesting products. Um, and I just don't have the time to do it myself. And so if somebody wants to say, hey, I'll do it, then I would love to kind of spend the time, mentor them, and try to build something that would be really amazing. So that's it. If you want to do that, um, you can send me an email at joshuanntaylor at gmail.com. Um, gmail for the win. Um, and, yeah, just say, hey, sign me up. How do we how do we get started? So I would probably only be able to get started with one person. Um, but I think it would be a really fun experiment to see if we can – um, actually build something while doing the mentorship and um, yeah. that sounds what do you like, think? I think that sounds awesome that sounds like a really cool journey now whoever does that I want to get them on the podcast to hear how it went <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, they're not allowed to get on because then they're going to be like oh, I didn't like working with John oh, no. <laughs> he was not very helpful <laughs> I'm helpful now <laughs> no so. that's that sounds really cool. I found like as I am learning design, it's really important to ask to get advice from people who know more about it and kind of have those mentors. So I think that's really important. That's a great idea. Yeah, I, there's the only way to to get experience is to do it, and the only way to get good experience is to work with other people that have done it. Um, and yet, like these days, the only way to really do that is go to one of the big companies that has a ton of different designers there and really like work with them hand hand in hand. So hoping to kind of replicate that on the, on a different level. Yeah, that sounds great. And you will definitely have to keep me updated on how that goes. Cool. I'm excited. I think, I think it'll be a lot of fun and I'm excited for the podcast that you're doing. This is great. I mean, I think there needs to be more and more of this. So I think you're doing something really cool. So I'm excited to see where this goes. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. I I think I learned a lot from you just in this conversation today. I enjoyed uh, talking with you too. This is actually really fun. So, thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to tune in next time for more information on design, marketing, and startups. <laughs>